Hey there, I'm Lucas Fitz. If you know me, you know two things to be true. I love a good pair of denim, and I'm always here for the stories. When I first got into the heritage goods movement and buying intentionally, I looked to American Field as an industry leader in connecting cool brands to cool consumers. There's nothing better than hearing the story behind how a big idea grew into a business. Now, we're bringing it online and inviting you to join in the conversation, whether you're watching or listening along from wherever you call home. I'll be hosting these fireside chats, intimate, personal looks at the inner workings of some of our favorite brands on our AF network. So, sit down, grab a whiskey or coffee or beer, and ride along as we shine the spotlight on real people and real stories. This is AF Fireside. Today's episode is presented by Jamestown, a global real estate investment and management company known for transforming spaces into innovation hubs and community centers. Learn more at jamestownlp.com. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to AF Fireside. Another good one for you today. I've got Ashley Rouse from Trade Street Jamco. Ashley, how's it going? It's going fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. It must be going fantastic for you. I hear you are hours <laughs> away from a vacation to Puerto Rico. That's all I'm thinking about, to be honest. I mean, I'm yeah. trying to focus here for you, but you know. <laughs> no, I feel I feel like since the weather got nice, especially this year, maybe it's the pandemic, maybe it's coming out of the pandemic, but for the last month, it's felt like the week before spring break in high school where like nobody's nobody's doing anything. <laughs> Isn't it That's hard? That's so accurate. That's so accurate. <laughs> we've, we've all been saying around here that it's, it's been senioritis for like a, a month now. It's really, really hard to focus. And it's, it's not like it's going to get better with summertime. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Well, we're going to keep you focused for the next half hour. So we're going to talk jam. We're going to talk strategy. I will say we, we last touched base last week, I think. And you said something to me that I have not stopped thinking about since we last talked. And that is putting jam on steak. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Have you done it? So you haven't done it yet, but I I have not done it yet. No, but I will have to report back when I do. This is, you swear by this. It's well, first of all, I mean, steak, come on, anything on steak. Um, But this is like, I mean, listen, use our strawberry chipotle and fig jam. It is like, it's like a barbecue sauce, but like fruitier, but like lighter and a little spicy and, um, healthier cleaner low sugar it's it's so good and you just like grill your steak and kind of brush it on there um while you're grilling it and then right at the end just give a little bit of sauce on there oh gosh it's gonna change your life all right does it do some like good caramelization too oh yeah definitely definitely um or you know what also try our blackberry mulled merlot on the steak because that's good too we did that in the winter yeah we did like a blackberry butter and just like smothered that on the steak at the end yeah you'll be happy all right. So if you're listening in and you're trying to figure out what we're talking about, Ashley <laughs> runs a really cool jam, kind of spreadable company out of Brooklyn. How would you sum up Trade Street Jam Company in a sentence or two? Uh, we are a low sugar, culinary inspired, vegan jam company changing the way people think about fruit. I love it. I love it. What do you mean by changing the way that people think about fruit? Get, dial us in a little closer. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many people, so many customers we've met over the years that have just said, like, I've given up on jam completely. Like it's crap. There's all these ingredients I can't pronounce in it. It's so sugary. Um, You know, I'll be honest, you you have to be wary of some things that last in your fridge for like six, eight months, 
and it's just like nothing happened to it. It's like, what's in that? Um, and so we're just kind of changing that narrative. It's a very clean label product. We don't use a ton of sugar. We don't use pectin preservatives, nothing you can't pronounce. Everything's five ingredients or less um, and just really, really healthy for you. Um, and so we're just kind of changing the way people look at jams, but then also what you can do with jam, what you can do with fruit, right? Like we talked about the steak, you know, my favorite thing is cocktails with the jam. Um, so just really like switching it up and kind of flipping the jam industry on its head, I guess you could say. Awesome. Yeah. I guess I haven't thought of that as kind of two totally separate ballparks there. Like the, the stuff that you would buy store brand, Walmart brand, you'd buy off the shelf. We're talking about a whole different animal here. Yeah. 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 I mean, everything has like a kind of a gourmet um, or fancier version of it, right? In anything that you can buy. Um, and so, you know, ours is a more of a premium product, but you're really getting a premium product. It's not something that we slapped a high price tag on and said, hey, this is better. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really good. So how did you find yourself in the jam world? Did you come through the culinary end or was jam, has jam been a passion of yours your whole life? Um, I've always worked in food service. Um, I've only ever worked in food service. I used to jam out uh, years and years ago. I loved preserving things. Um, I love the idea of like being able to preserve these really great like, you know, jams or cherries or something in the summertime and then be able to pop it open in the winter when you can't find that same produce and really get this quality product. Um, and I'm a big condiment person. I love like mustards, sauces, all types of things like that, things in jars. Um, so I always kind of jammed and just handed it out to friends and family, things like that. And I lived in this like tiny apartment in Charlotte, North Carolina on Trade Street. And I just was like, one day I'm going to start a jam company and I'm going to call it Trade Street Jam Company. And that was back in 2008. And then I, uh, I didn't start a company till 2016. So I'm glad I wrote that, uh, that idea down. <laughs> For sure. Wow. So that's an, an eight year gap between this is the idea and here's the execution. Yep. Do you think right. that that's, you know, I obviously I can't, can't pull a bunch of people right now. Do you think that that is an above average time of incubation? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, definitely. I, I don't think I thought about it the whole time. No, no, no. Correction. I did not think about it the whole time. It For wasn't sure. something like that. I wasn't, I don't want anyone to think I'm even suggesting that it takes that type of planning. Um, it does take planning, but um, I, I wasn't thinking I had tabled the idea um, and I had, you know, I was actually doing another entrepreneurship thing. I was, I had this company called Urban Mondays and um, it was like a custom alterations business and people would send us like jeans or clothes and we would oh, turn cool. them into like joggers or sew patches on them. I've been sewing for probably 10 years or so. So nice. um, I was actually doing that for a while and then uh, kind of circled back around. Nice. So maybe it wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't all consequential, but that's not to say that there aren't people out there that maybe had a really good idea a decade ago and haven't executed on it yet. So I'm wondering what was, what was kind of the catalyst or the genesis for you actually executing on the idea and saying, yeah, now, now trade street is more than an idea I wrote in a notepad. I want it to be an actual thing. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, culinary has always been right at my heart. I, I love to cook. I probably love to eat more than anything. Um, but 
I think at some point I was doing Urban Mondays. My husband had kind of started helping me. He was really into like the fashion and just loved what we were doing. And so kind of saying like, okay, do you want to do this? Do you want to like really do what it takes to make this a business? And um, there was this like nagging thing at the back of our minds. I was just like, do we really want to go into like retail? Like we don't have experience in this. Um, And we kept saying, well, we probably need to go work in retail to like be fully experienced. And then I kept thinking like, oh my God, work at Forever 21. I like, I just was freaking out, like getting anxiety thinking of it. And so, and then also in the back of my mind was like, wow, your mom like paid for this full out culinary degree and you're totally going another route. Doesn't mean you can't do it, but like, is that really what you want to do? Um, and so uh, I, I think that's kind of, all that was kind of, you know, bubbling in my mind, working at the same time. And then um, I was, I'm just, I need something to do after work, right? I was bored after work. I'm not like a big like Netflix binger. I just need something to keep me busy. I'm a creative, my mind's always moving. And so when I wasn't sewing clothes or didn't have orders, um, I needed something else. So I started just like making jam again because I loved it. So I would go to this store on my way home from work and they always had really like funky exotic produce or persimmons or something like weird and interesting. And I would just start doing these like little small batch jams, but then I'd have like 20 jars And I'd be like, what am I going to do with this? So I opened up an Etsy store and just, I was like, I'll just sell it online see what happens. Very cool. So maybe this is a bias coming from a little bit of a background in the food industry, but how is, is it as difficult as you would think it would be to get food out on the market versus a product like clothes or, or apparel or even body care to a degree that I have to assume there's some degree of regulation. What was the learning curve around that? Um, I'm well, to answer that question, I'm sure it's all difficult to be honest. I mean, I mm-hmm. haven't found anything to be easy ever, but right. uh, yeah, with food, I, I mean, there's definitely the regulations where like with selling clothes, yeah, you don't have those same type of things, but um, you know, I had to learn. I, I mean, that's point blank. I had to learn like I, everything, every step I was going to do, I would go to do it. And then I'd be like, wait, is this right? And then I'd Google it and I'd be like, oh shit. Like I gotta, like, I gotta do this before I can do that. So then I'd have to like fill out this paperwork and get these, you know, like it was, it was always just trying to get these regulations, you know, first I was cooking at home out of my apartment, which I think you can sell in person, but you can't sell online when you're doing that. So I was like kind of teetering. I was like doing both a little bit. And I was like, yeah, this is fine. Nobody's looking for me. It's such a small amount. And then um, it got to a point where I wanted to sell in person and I needed different um, documentation to be able to do that. Um, And then it got to a point where I was like making the product in a shared kitchen and we had to have the health department come and inspect us. So we had to have, you know, those inspections, like every step of the way, there's been some type of like regulation or something I needed. Right. For sure. And so you said you started on an, on an Etsy platform, uh, aside from that detail, what, what, what did the business kind of look like in its first chapter? Oh gosh, we were, <laughs> I was doing this model where I would make a small batch of a flavor. So maybe like 20 to 30 jars. And once it sold out, I would retire that flavor. And it was a really cool concept because I had like, you know, a list in my phone of like hundreds of flavors. Um, and it gave me the creativity to like, just switch it up. And it also created this demand where when we would sell in person, like we would tell people like, they'd be like, Oh, I like that. I don't know. I'll come back. And we'd be like, great. You won't see it next week because Uh, this flavor is gone. There's like 
five jars left and some people would just be like all right I want all five like you know so really created this cool kind of cycle there but um you know little did I know that is the least sustainable model for a business ever in life um and yeah I wasn't <laughs> I guess I wasn't the most business savvy to think that far ahead um but that was what the first chapter looked like sure so when you say unsustainable is that solely because of the creative energy that it takes to keep creating new things that's probably the least of of it you know it's it's more so um like like you said with kind of documentation or regulation i mean you have to have uh for example like you have to get your flavors like lab tested before you can sell it because you got to make sure it's like safe to sell to the world right so Mm -hmm. you have to get this like laboratory testing and that costs money. It might cost a hundred bucks per flavor, which is like nothing when you only have like six SKUs, right? But if you're switching your SKUs like every week, I mean, that could get so pricey. The whole process could take forever because that takes probably four to six weeks to do. Um, so that part, I mean, like literally ordering in bulk is something that you have to do as a business, right? And so like when I'm ordering labels in bulk, imagine like, you know, we've had strawberry chipotle and fig jam for years now. I can order 5,000 labels and I'll be good. But if it's going to retire next week, I can, one, I can only probably order like, I don't know, a hundred or whatever, less than that, um, which is not going to get me far. And then also the price is high. It's going to be cheaper to order 5,000 labels than it is like a hundred or 50. So uh, what a mess. Uh, I would not even (laughs) thought that avenue. (laughs) That that makes total sense why that's not sustainable. Um, And I guess now that I think about it, the other end, the creative end is probably really fun. (laughs) That's probably what what you love to do about it. Exactly. Interesting. So chapter one, we have the Etsy store. We have this kind of what we've deemed now as an unsustainable model. What what did chapter two look like? I I have to assume it was when you migrated to your own e-commerce platform. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So chapter two was um, fully selling in markets, like in person, and then also migrating to our own website. So um, yeah, switching to our own website was solely my husband. Like he's a marketing guru and that's what he does. And he's like, I don't want you on Etsy anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, you're marketing another platform. You know, you're telling people to go to this place where they can go get so many other things. Like, and it made so much sense when he said it, you know, you'll go up there to buy jam and then underneath it'll say more like this. And there's like five other jam sellers. And then next thing you know, you bought someone else's jam and some pillows for your house. You didn't even <laughs> buy jam, like, sure. you know? And so it made sense. I wanted people to get lost in my own website amongst my things, uh, mm-hmm. not somebody else's. So switch to um, our own website, which I obviously built and maintained. Um, and then also started just selling in these markets. It was a really good way to get feedback from customers right away, like instantaneous feedback. They would try it. You could see in their face, like, you know, and that really helped us narrow down all these flavors we were doing um, to really say, okay, this one is a winner, you know? Um, and that really helped a lot as well. Yeah especially with food, that, that experience of getting to try something, taste something for the first time to, to make that convert conversion to a sale. There's not, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And it's funny, I would like joke, but I would say, you know, I can sell this jam to anybody once they taste it. And it, mm-hmm. it really became true. I mean, I did these, these markets for like two or three years straight, like every, every weekend, um, every holiday, just all year round. And I must've come across so many different people and I just learned consumer behavior. And it was like, 
I knew going into an event, like if there's this many people there, I will probably sell this much jam because if I get them to taste it, they're going to buy. And so it became more about getting them over to the table and to actually taste it than it did to sell. It was like, once they were there, it was like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> like right. You know, but it, our tactic became more about, because initially we would just let people walk by and we wouldn't really say anything. They would just walk by. And then as they kind of looked over, we'd be like, Oh, hi, do you want to come over here? Like really meek. And then like, you know, a year in, I'm like talking to people across the thing. I'm like, Hey, what do you come on? Oh, come over here. Come You, you look like you like jam. And they're like, Oh, <laughs> like, and, and it's like, we're bringing all these people over. Um, and what, yeah, once they taste it, it's a good product. I also joke, like, look, I know the jam's good. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than that to have a business. Um, and so that's why I say I can sell to anyone. Like once I get you in kind of the funnel, you're going to like the product. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's more than that to get you to, to spend your, your money. For sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a much different, it's the same idea, but a much different, uh, method than trying on a pair of pants or trying on a pair of shoes. Like you get this beautiful presentation on, you know, something that makes you feel kind of cool and classy, a nice snack that's better than the cheese that I'm going to shove into my face when I get home. (laughs) And I don't have to take my shoes off. I don't have to take my pants off. (laughs) I always feel so bad when we do markets in the winter time and people have stuff that they want people to try on, but it's like, I'm wearing 20 coats. (laughs) I've got three tote bags. Come on. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not doing it either. I love (laughs) it. And I'm just buying it or I'm passing, but like, I am not going through all that. Come, It's a different, totally different challenge set of challenges and and upsides when it comes to food. I want to go back to Etsy for a second and we'll kind of just broaden up, not, not to just Etsy, but these kind of like least space retail platforms. Um, so you spoke about some of the downsides that you and your husband had pointed out. What do you think are some of the advantages for brands starting out? And what what's what are the signs that it's time to graduate to the next level? Because I think that these platforms do serve a really great purpose for brands that are starting out or brands that exist in a certain model. I'd love to kind of hear your take on that. Oh, God. Well, number one, you're reaching this consumer that already is there like you're reaching someone like how do I get people to come to my website they don't nobody's googling trade street jam co like in year one nobody's heard who's looking for us you know but like who's on Etsy oh god millions of users millions and then who's on Etsy that's typing in sauce jam jelly gifts oh millions of people so it's huge for a brand starting up like I would definitely suggest going that route because it's free marketing you know you when you're starting you can't afford marketing you're you're like what is SEO I don't even know what that is and you're like I have no money <laughs> like you're, I mean you definitely want to use a platform like that and then behind that is like you know unless you're a design like graphic design genius like who knows how to build a website right like who knows how to do it who has the beautiful content to be able to do it and make it look the way it needs to look especially in this day and age like if I go to a website and it looks like shit I'm leaving like I don't care what the product is unless I know the person or like you you know like if I go and your website trash I'm like oh your product must be trash too but if I go to your website and you have one SKU that's it but your website is beautiful and I only want that one SKU that you have and like everything looks great your product might not be that great but I'm like ooh they know what they're doing and I like I'm gonna buy it and so that's the world we live in um and with like a platform like Etsy or some other ones you already kind of have their setup. So it's like when you go, like beautiful pictures help, but when you go to my page, like it's already kind of built out for me. I just got to insert some images. And if they're not that great, 
it's okay. Versus like, if you use like a Squarespace to build your own website, they have these beautiful platforms, but if you don't have the beautiful content to populate that, you're going to be, I mean, it's just going to be a waste, you know, a waste of your time. So. Totally. Yeah, that's an uphill battle on on all fronts these yeah. days, getting people's attention when it comes to content. But what yeah. what does the line in the sand look like for you? What's a what's the sign when it's time to graduate into your own plot of land out on the internet? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I'm you know I don't know if I have the answer to that. I think um, a lot of things you have to do when you're an entrepreneur is just do shit when it feels right, yeah. like. And I literally, when you feel it in your soul, when your heart tells you something like you have to go off of that because you don't have a lot of the answers as a business owner. Um, And so I think that's one of those things when like you're doing it and you feel like you're, you know, you feel like you're popping, you're like selling and you're like, okay, this is good. Maybe then you're like, I I don't necessarily need this. Maybe you start on, you start to transition slowly. You don't just cold Turkey on the other side, you build a site, you take your time and then you start using that. And then you start pushing your consumers over there. You know, I mean, you're not supposed to like fish customers from like these other sites, right? But you say like, yeah, technically, but like you, you link your site on that page or you say like, Hey, we're building a mailing list separate from this. Would you like to sign up? And then you like pull these customers emails and, basically these same customers that love you don't care where you are. They'll still go to your website if they bought from you a couple times. And so, you know, it should be more of a transition where you're like kind of pulling because you don't want to lose those customers. Um, and if you can do both for a little bit, do both, you know, for sure. Yeah. I would have to guess that it's somewhere on the spectrum of like a number, some kind of number that feels right specific to the brand. And like you said, gut instinct. And that number is probably also good instinct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're really, really, really think trick question. Yeah. There really is no right answer there. <laughs> There's, um, yeah, yeah. For sure. So something else that's really struck me in the last year or so since we first met uh, in, I want to say we met in Brooklyn 2019 at the AF event there. And I have seen yep. you literally everywhere since then, <laughs> all, all over the place. Um, whether it be, you know, at an AF thing or at, in another market or a digital thing, I saw you did a great, um, did a great little interview with Clavio, who's kind of one of our, one of our favorite email providers out there. Um, how, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you appear literally everywhere? <laughs> that, you know, that literally warms my heart that never gets old. If someone says that, I mean, never, because it, everything goes into this business. Um, so thank you. For saying that first off um the answer is uh be everywhere which is funny because um the question is how are you everywhere and the answer is be everywhere um but one of my like mentors early on said um and he was you know like he was actually the host on this show the hustle that we did on viceland a couple years ago and um he he said who he was famous to me at the time, you know, like I was like tiny. I'm like, Oh, you're famous. And he's like, I say no to nothing. I do every interview, every podcast, every article. And I thought that was so interesting because we had just started getting people reaching out to us to like do podcasts or do interviews. And I mean, these people, I'm like, who are you? And then it's like funny. Cause it's like, sis, who are you? Nobody just like, you haven't heard of them. Like they barely have heard of you, but that always resonated because he was like, you know, I mean, like literally when you're ubiquitous, that's how it happens, right? So I started saying yes to every interview, every podcast, every opportunity that sounded 
sure, great. You have some following, any following? Yes, because even if you make one, two customers off that one podcast, it's worth it. Um, and so that is, that's pretty much how you get everywhere. Um, we also did markets like yours um, and other markets, as many as we could possibly find and sign up for until I was exhausted. Um, those helped because people love to taste in person. Like we talked about people love seeing the person behind the brand. So I was always customer services in my like blood. It's in my background. I worked at the Ritz Carlton. Like I know how to treat people. And, um, I thought that was just second nature. And then I go to the markets, I see other booths and like hear them talk. And I'm like, Oh my God, you have no idea how to like talk to a customer. And so that I really built up a way to like talk to people, how to sell. Um, but that helped because right when people come would come over, they would, I we would notice they would ask about the jam, then they would taste the jam, then they would talk to me a little bit about something, then they would ask some more, then they'd buy six jams. And then at the end, they'd go, you know, I work for Whole Foods, I'm a buyer. <laughs> and you're like, you should have led with that. But like, but I'm glad I like was very sweet with you, right? And so we would hear that over and over we're like, oh, you know what, I, I write work for the New York Times. And like, sometimes we'd hear nothing, right? We'd be so pumped. Oh, my God, the New York Times is gonna write about us. And then mm-hmm. a year go by, we hear nothing. Um, but every now and then, like, someone would say, hey, you know, I, I want to feature you in this. And then they'd actually follow up and we'd actually get a, a feature. So I think to answer that question about how you get this PR is just being everywhere all the time and just doing like almost putting your head down and doing what you're supposed to do because like you don't have a choice. You don't have money. Right. And then also outreach. You can act. I'm not, I'm skipping some of it, but reaching out to people. I literally hired an intern for like a hundred bucks for three months using this platform that I always talk about. Acadium. It's like, I think their price has gone up a little bit. It's literally a hundred dollars for a three month intern. And they're supposed to doing marketing. And I was like, great, you're going to do marketing on top of these few other tasks. And one of the tasks was every week you need to reach out to like 10, you know, magazines, newspapers, whatever, local timeout, like whatever it is, email them, email them your little pitch, short and sweet, include a couple of photos um, and tell them who you are and try to differentiate yourself in as little words as possible. Um and so that led to some things too. But again, you're going to send a hundred emails and you might get two leads, but yeah, what else do you have to do? For sure. So I'm going to round out with what might be a dead end question here, <laughs> but looking back, so the sounds like the solution to getting to being everywhere is that you have to fight the war on all fronts, which is one thing when you have a million employees, it's a different story when you don't. So how, how do you, how do you do that effectively? I have the, like what the old Ron Swanson parks and rec saying about better to whole ass one thing than half ass two things. But if you have to do 50 things, how do you not half ass them all? That's such a great question. Um, I think that is something that a business owner will always be trying to find the answer to. And I, I, every day I think of that. Um, I think you have to be super organized. You have to prioritize you know, write a list down of a hundred things that you have to do, go through, narrow it down to 75 that are, that you really have to do, narrow that down to 45 that are super important. And then narrow it down to the 10 that you can do this week. Like, I mean, you you just have to. Um, Also, my husband's really good. He always used to say, I used to say, should I do this? Should I do this? For every opportunity, should I do this one? Should I do this? And he would say, is it a revenue generating opportunity? And I would go, hmm. No, it's not. And he'd be like, great, you don't have time for it. 
But that really, really helped because, you know, I wanted to make money and I needed money to grow. And so, you know, that does help if it's not bringing in money or if that's not your goal, you know, if goals, your goals are customers, if your goals are Instagram followers, whatever it is, if it's not directly affecting that goal, then put it to the side and then slowly, but surely find cheap ways to hire. We have interns all the time. There's always an intern on our, on our, um, I won't even say payroll because we have unpaid interns, like find interns, put a job description out on interns.com and, and find you an intern that can help you. And that's into what you're doing is passionate about food or clothing or whatever. Um, and get some free help. Like you have to, there's going to be such a long time in between when you need the help to when you can actually hire like five people to help you. Oh God, such a long time. (laughs) Um, so, so interns can really help there too. Interesting. All right. That's a, that's a great little takeaway. Ashley, it's, it's almost vacation time (laughs) at this point. I've made you think for a half hour here. We've got a lot of great stuff out of you. Um, let's close out. Tell me the vacation cocktail with your jam that you're most looking forward to. Although I hope that you're not making your own drinks on this trip, but if you, if you were, what's the cocktail of the summer? Okay. This is it. You ready? Right. Take out your pen and pencil. (laughs) Right. Right. It's a spicy strawberry Paloma. So, so good. It's with our spicy strawberry chipotle and fig jam, grapefruit juice, lime juice, salted rim, uh, and muddled fresh strawberries. It's a classic Paloma, but with a spicy twist. It's so good. It is summer in a glass. You have to make it. I promise, promise you're going to love it. It sounds like a, a pretty surefire guarantee there. I love it. <laughs> Ashley, where's the best place for, for folks that are listen, interested in learning more about the brand? Where can they keep yeah. in touch with you? Definitely follow us on Instagram um, at tradestjamco. Um, we post so many recipes and fun stuff, reels, videos, everything. So head over there and then head to our website, tradestjamco.com. Uh, we've got everything there, jam, recipes, bags, merch, aprons, so much fun stuff. Um, you'll get lost in all the goodness. So check us out. Love it. Very cool. Ashley, thanks for your time. Hope you have a great vacation. By the time that folks are listening to this, you will hopefully be on a beach. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. I'm Lucas Fitz, and this is AF Fireside. To learn more about all the brands featured on the podcast, check out fireside.shopaf.co. And don't forget to subscribe to us on your streaming platform of choice. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is presented by Jamestown, a global real estate investment and management company known for transforming spaces into innovation hubs and community centers. Learn more at jamestownlp.com.